right. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today here at the Biblos Network. Welcome. We are glad that you have decided to jump on with us, talk about the great things of God. It has been a hot, hot summer here in Durham. It's sultry. It's hot. And God is still good. He is good to us. I know he is good to you where you are. It's been a busy time. We have a lot of stuff that's in the churn right now. We've had um, great speakers come through, great services. We are getting geared up for youth camps and North America camp meeting in uh, Little Rock and man, just a host, a host of different things. It's an exciting time. I was in New Brunswick, Canada last week and had a great time, or two weeks ago, I guess it is now, and last week was in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, just popping in and out of Canada like, like a Pop-Tart and just having a big time. Great, great churches, both the Plaster Rock Church and the Calgary Church, uh, Pastor McKillop and Pastor Douglas Walker, both of whom have great podcasts. So if you're looking for great content, check out both of them and you will be blessed. You will be blessed. We're glad you're here with us at Biblos. We want you to fall in love with your Bible, to to make converts, disciple people to Jesus Christ, and help foster and nurture an army of bibliophiles. That is our hope, to fall in love with the Word of God and become apostolic. Jesus' name people, one God people. Um, If you haven't, done so already, take a moment and get your Biblos coffee mug. It is our initial excursion into the coffee mug world, and we have some more designs that we hope to get out to you. But I'll tell you what, there have been several of you that have sent us pictures with you and your coffee mug. Send us a picture of your Biblos coffee mug. Shoot it over to us. We would love to see it, and we will recognize some of you when we are on the air next time. So take a moment and show us your Biblos coffee mug and support the channel. We're glad that you can help us. They have been flying off the shelf and people are excited. We're excited. That's great news. All of the proceeds go to the missions that the Biblos uh, network sponsors and and it's a great it's great to partner with people. Um today Today, I have been giving thought to some things, and I wanted to share a concept with you that I broached with Brother Stephen Collins when he was here, and it's a, a topic that I think deserves a little bit further examination because it's a big theme. Today, I want to talk to you about bees and honey, bees and honey. The the bee is a surprising a surprising theme in the Bible and I guess we see it most closely when we come to the promised land, that's where honey is really prominent in the word of the Lord. Where God tells Israel that I'm going to take you to the land that flows with milk and honey. And Israel leaves Egypt. They go through the Exodus. They follow Moses. 
and in following him, they are going to this promised land, the land that flows with milk and honey. And, and after 40 years, you know the story. They go through the wilderness. They come to the promised land. And when they get there, they find out that it's not just paradise. It's a lot of work involved. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the work that we do coupled with the grace that God gives. We're living in, a, in a, an entitlement generation a handout generation that's looking for the next big handout. When a person does that, when a person falls prey to that, they they lose something. You lose something. God made us to be producers. God made us to be creators. He is a creator. He's the creator. And some people mistakenly say when Adam sinned that that work was the curse that God gave to man. I used to think that. I was I was taught that. I don't remember where I got it from, but I I heard it and I just kind of said it until one day the Lord began to deal with me to look a little closer and it's not true. The Bible doesn't say that work was the curse. It says the ground was cursed because of sin and it would bring forth thorns and thistles. And by the sweat of Adam's face, he would bring forth from the ground. And it wouldn't yield her abundance like, like it would under God's original creative order. We were always designed to work. God worked. Five days God worked. And on the uh, six days God worked. And on the seventh day God rested. He provides a template for us. And so God is the original worker or creator. And we are made in his image. We are designed to work and create. And so I'll just stop right now and say, if you are sedentary, if you are bored, if you are idle, that is fertile ground for bad things. Bad things. The more bored you are, the more idle you are, the more sedentary, just sitting, doing nothing, there are bad things that happen. There are weird things that happen. There are uh, depression, um, perversion. You know, they say that the idle mind is the devil's workshop. Um, but th- there's there's a spiritual dynamic there. Not only does it hurt your body. Somebody said the other day that sedentary lifestyle is the new smoking because you're destroying your temple. You're destroying your lungs. You're destroying your heart. So for all you apostolics out there, get up, get out of that lazy boy, put Biblos in your AirPods and go jogging, go get on an elliptical machine, go move, go work, Um, get moving. It's important to do a work and to stay active. God gives us that time to work and to produce. And that's the idea behind the bee and behind the cow, because wherever there are, there is honey and there is milk. There's going to be bees and there's going to be cows. God wasn't saying, I'm going to give you a big divine handout. I'm going to, honey's going to be dripping off the trees and milk's going to be flowing in the brook or in the stream. No, what what it's going to be is I'm going to make you a producer as opposed to a consumer. 
God never designed us to simply consume and to take. The Dead Sea is known for taking, 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 and never giving. And because of that, the salt concentrate, the chemical, and the mineral concentrate is so disproportionate that it it can't hold life. There is a need to give and take. As a matter of fact, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. So if you have figured that out, that you are blessed when you give more than you receive, than when you receive, you have figured out a great spiritual premise. I'll even take it so far as to say it's one of the reasons God demands tithe, that God is teaching us to be a giver. God gives, and he doesn't give contingent just upon return. Now, he expects return, but God gives just because he is a giver. He is a producer. He is a creator. His rain falls on the just and the unjust. His sun shines upon the righteous and the wicked. And so God wants to create bees and to create cows, producers. So when you go to church and you go to be involved, don't go to soak up. Don't go to um, just receive and, and, and just to hear some new thing. Go to participate. Go to take part in and to engage. <clears throat> That's the whole point of the bee is wherever they go, they participate in. This should be true when we're witnessing, when we are conducting business, when we are working, when we are raising children, we should be producing. Everything we should touch should have honey attached to it. <laughs> People should be left sweeter when we leave than when we came. You know, I, I remember from the Song of Solomon, it's, um, I want to say it's chapter two, might be a different chapter. He says he put his hand to the door and, and there was myrrh upon the locks. I can't remember exactly how it says it, but the idea is everything he touched was fragrant. Everything he touched was blessed. It was anointed, as it were. And, and we see this <clears throat> in the life of Joseph. When Joseph is taken into Egypt, Joseph is the premier example of blessing wherever he goes, in spite of his circumstances. Moses, or rather Joseph, blesses the house of Potiphar. He blesses the jailer. He winds up blessing Pharaoh and all of Egypt, and they're all a beneficiary and a recipient of the blessing or the honey, the milk. So this is a theme in the Bible, and it's something we should apply in our lives. Um, that, that word be, it comes from the Hebrew word dabar, D-A-W-B-A-R. That sounds kind of funny. It's not a, an English word by any means, but, but it's all over the Bible, and it's the root of the word Deborah. Deborah comes from the Hebrew root dabar. And it's one who does, one who accomplishes, one who is industrious. So here's this idea of this theme of working with your hands, of, of productivity, of, of increase. 
And that's what God was bringing the Hebrews to. He was bringing them to increase, to grow, to be industrious, as opposed to the consumption of Egypt. In Egypt, um, they had this, this theme of receiving, receiving. We, we, we want the, the spices. We want the, the onions and the garlic and the, the leeks of Egypt. So we've fallen in love with these spices. We've fallen in love with um, receiving. We've always had someone prepare our meals for us. We've always had someone give us our housing. When is someone else going to do it for me? We, this is a problem with, with the scripture, um, the, the slavery mindset. Someone else is going to do it for me. Someone else is going to make it for me. Someone else is going to provide it for me. This is not God's purpose for our life. We are to be creators. We are to be producers. And this is the whole idea behind the bee. So let's talk a little bit about that. I made up in my mind that I wanted to be a, a composer, a, a generator. And I, I teach my, my ministers and, and the people that are under my ministry, I try to teach them, leave everything better than what you found it. Every relationship that you have, every, every friendship that you have, every job that you work, leave it better than you found it. If you can find it in yourself to do that, you will be blessed. People will bless you. People are happy to see you come and they are sorry to see you go. You bring grace. You bring blessing. Your peace comes upon the house when you enter into the house. So this is a powerful dynamic that if we as Christians, children of God, can internalize this, make it part of our makeup, oh man, then we can create the honeycomb. We can create the, the blessing. Now, the way that looks in, in practical application. So when you're teaching Bible studies, work to extract the honey from the Word of God, the nectar of the Word of God. The Word of God is beautiful. It is powerful. Um, I can remember for, for years, I read nothing but the Bible. I just, just chapters after chapter after chapter. Some days it was three chapters, some days five, some days 10. And, and I would just internalize the words, become intimate with the scriptures. Um, our family did this. We, we were taught to love the word of God and to devour the word of God. We were taking in that sweetness. Well, once we did that, and we heard preaching. We were exposed to great preaching and, and people who love the word. I love men and women who love the word of God. Not just getting, you know, nice little lessons and moral stories and moral applications like a fable or, you know, Mother Goose's nursery rhymes or something like that. The old woman who lived in the shoe. But to where you're actually extracting the beauty and the sweetness. The Bible says it is sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. I'll give you an example of, of how this practically applied and then hopefully this can be a blessing to you. Hebrews 
they, they, the ancient Hebrew mind is not like the modern Western educated mind. We are raised very empirically, very observationally trained. Um, we are taught that one plus one equals two, two plus two equals four. And there's a, a logistical sequence. There are a very uh, logical progression to things. And it's great for progress. It's great for um, invention and for industry. It's good for education in many, many ways. But it does not deal, oftentimes it doesn't deal with the intangibles and, and the dynamics of the human heart. And the Bible was not written that way by and large. Now, there are very straightforward accounts, but the Bible employs a method that the true Bible student should really get a grip on, and that is the power of the word image. It is the power of metaphor, word pictures. Um, the Bible calls them shadows and types. And, and there are very smart people who dismiss this. They think that they are of little consequence. They think that they're just little more than superstition. But I strongly contend that they are very key to opening up the meaning of the word of the Lord. Let me see if I can give you an example of what I mean by that. Okay. Peter takes time in 1 Peter chapter 3 to describe baptism. And in describing baptism, he uses Noah and the ark. So Peter's preaching about Jesus. And he's talking about how Jesus Christ came and his redemptive work. And he says he went and preached to the spirits in prison. He came down and preached to the imprisoned hearts of men and women who were bound by sin. And then all of a sudden, Peter segues into Noah and the ark. And he, he, he reaches back in the Old Testament and he uses an Old Testament picture to describe baptism. Now, religions and denominations have made the mistake of grabbing their favorite verses in the New Testament and sword fighting with them. <laughs> so one religion says, you don't need to be baptized. Another religion says, yeah, it's a good idea. You should, but it's not necessary for salvation. Another one might, might say something to the effect of, yes, you must be baptized. And the apostolic position is, yes, you must be baptized. Except a man is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's Acts 2.38 and John 3.5. But, you know, a denominal person will jump in there and say, oh, no, John 3.16, just believe on the Lord and everything will be okay. Well, Peter cuts through all of that with Bible metaphor and shadow and type. And he points to the flood and he says, see that? That's what it looks like. That's what salvation looks like. If you don't go through the water, you die. Simple. Every one of us, every one of us has to do it. And we go through the water, the water buries our sin, and we come out on the other side <clears throat> with a brand new life. And this is the like figure, he uses that word, the, the like figure. Well, that like and that word figure, it, it's, a, it's the shape of or the shadow of or a type of. It's, it's 
what the Bible means when it says that it would bring forth after its kind. There's a kindness or a kindredness that is included in that, that God meant to teach us. That if you want to see what salvation looks like, it includes this. It has water. That's why Peter used it. And in one simple word picture, he, he teaches the necessity of water baptism. And he just cuts right to the chase. He moves around all of the scriptures that, that might be skewed and distorted to teach something else. <clears throat> and he, he, he just points it out. This is what it looks like. And that's the Exodus when they come through the water, the Red Sea. They were baptized into Moses. Everyone that came out of Egypt had to do that. These are the word pictures. Now, what this is, is it's, it's anthropomorphic language. That's it. The Bible uses it all the time. That's what the scripture describes. Um, in, that's the language of the shadow and type. And the Greek word for man is, is anthropo, anthropos. And that's the word for man. And then the word for change is morph. So anthropomorph means to change into human terms or language that uses human terms to describe what God's doing. And if you're going to get to the honey of the word of God, you have to know how the Hebrews thought. They didn't think with this linear... Um, one plus one plus one sequencing, they thought in word pictures. One reason their language was so beautiful is because God forbade, he told them, do not make any graven image. You shall not make any likeness. Um, so in doing that, in, in forbidding that, they began to make their words their art. That's why Psalms is so beautiful. It's why Proverbs is so beautiful. People love those books, the poetic books, the book of Job, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Solomon, all of these vivid, vivid, vivid images and, and the imagery. Revelation is filled with word pictures. It's not a straightforward um, data-driven book. It's a very metaphoric book. God uses the word pictures to, to speak to us. And in doing so, it's way more than, you know, so many chapters. God can pack into those chapters thousands and thousands of concepts. If, if a picture's worth a thousand words, well, God puts a lot of pictures into there. And, and the Bible is very picture-oriented. Very picture-oriented. So Noah and the ark is a great picture of baptism. When, when the Hebrews would speak, and, and Hebrew is the language that God used to reveal his nature to his people initially. And then later we have the New Testament in Greek. But this is, this is the, the dynamic that God put in motion for us to learn of him. He chose this medium to communicate with us. Here he is. He's got this Hebrew language. When the Hebrews describe flooding, like say an, an, an English speaker would say that, you know, there was a big flood. But when the Hebrews said it, they didn't say it like that. They said that 
the floods rejoiced or the trees clapped their hands or the floods clapped their hands. The, the trees lift their hands or their arms. Well, trees don't have arms. Floods don't. Water doesn't have hands. But it gives them these human characteristics. Well, all of that is a picturesque, metaphoric way of describing what happened. Well, when you read the scripture, it's important to know those things. God revealed it through that language. Something about the poetry and the beauty of the picture resonates with us far more than the data just given directly does. Data can deal with a lot of physical things, but poetry gets around the edges of logic. You don't just know a thing, you feel the thing. It ministers to the whole man and the whole woman. It ministers to your spirit, it ministers to your soul, and you dig down into into the layers of the Word of God, the multi-layered. The Bible called it the manifold grace of God, the many folds or the many layers. You'll think that you've got God figured out. You'll think that you have a verse figured out. And you find out that there are very deep applications to every verse. When you're new to the Lord, you might see it one way and God really speaks to you. But but you talk to somebody who knows the Word of God and loves the Word of God, and they'll bring things out of it. They'll look at it four different ways, seven ways, uh, 12 different ways. They're, they're looking at it from multiple angles in such a profound extraction of the honey of the Word of God. It's with these word pictures and these shadows and types that we have converted scores of denominal people. Someone that says, I don't think I need to be baptized. We take them to the story of Noah, and no one was saved unless they went through the water. Nobody. Not one person in that day was saved. We take them to the Red Sea. Nobody was saved unless they went through the water. It is such a stark picture of what salvation looks like. This was God's way of saying, this is what salvation looks like. When you are going to be studying and learning the word of the Lord, apply the diligence and the industry of the bee. Extract the honey, extract the milk. Labor at the word and let it become something beautiful to you. You'll find that when you see it, you don't have time to backslide. You don't have time to walk away from it. The revelation is too powerful, and you it'll make you want to rejoice. It'll make you want to shout. Many times I just want to run around the table because God has given such power and such dominion. And this is the land that flows with milk and honey. This is the, the beautiful things of the Word of God. I can remember years ago, I, I was reading the story of Jacob and Esau. And in reading that story, I noted that Esau was the older brother who sold out. And Jacob was the younger brother who picked it up. And I noticed that Adam was the older brother that sold out. And Jesus was the younger brother that picked it up. Both Adam and Jesus are sons of God, and Esau and Jacob were sons of Isaac. And I noticed that. I realized then that when Jacob put on Esau's clothing to go to the father to restore the inheritance and the birthright, 
that is a beautiful word picture of what it looks like in the incarnation, that the younger brother would put on the older brother's garments and would restore and redeem the inheritance. He would go to the father and the father would bestow it upon him and redeem the inheritance and switching the inheritance. So the the birthright switches from Esau to Jacob and it switches from Adam to Jesus. And so if you can see, if you can see Jacob putting on those clothes and putting on those garments and covering himself up with the flesh of the goat and and going to the father and all of the sensory detectors of of the father are signaling this as Esau, but it's actually Jacob. And in doing so, he accepts him as Esau, all the while being Jacob. That's what happened in the incarnation. Jesus Christ goes, he puts on the clothes or the flesh of Adam and he goes to the father and and the father bestows upon him the birthright that was originally given to Adam. And he becomes he becomes the new Adam. He becomes the one who receives the birthright and the inheritance. So now we aren't born of Adam, we're born of Jesus Christ and he redeems us and he restores the inheritance and Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. All of these themes are scriptural themes, but but it's those word pictures and it's those metaphors that come from the Old Testament. In the Bible, the scripture says many times that, that Jesus would open their understanding, how that all of the Psalms and all of Moses spake of him. And here this is this, these are these beautiful dynamics in the in the word of the Lord that's just dripping with honey. That's the milk of the word. That's the honey that's in the honeycomb. It is a beautiful illustration. And it's something that that we have to take the time to extract and to apply. We can see doctrine in that. God God speaks to us through that. And it is it is a powerful, powerful dynamic. This not only applies in scripture, but it applies in everyday life, in, in business. So a person not only teaches the word of God from this perspective, but they live. They live and they practice the word of God. So my witnessing then is not just me saying, hey, you want to come to church? Let me invite you to our new our new sanctuary or our new um, choir concert we're going to have or our church carnival that we're putting on. We're having special revival. All of that is witnessing. But when you are living the life of the bee and the cow, your actual daily activity testifies. So the honesty that you employ with everybody, the integrity with which you deal with people, the tone of voice, that you speak to people in, your tone matters. My tone matters. Um, giving people grace and, and helping them and being a blessing to them, building them rather than taking advantage of them. So your life becomes a giving. 
rather than a taking. You're not looking how to, how to take, how to take, how to take, but you're looking rather how to give. Um, David said, my cup runneth over. My cup runneth over. That, that literally means I'm so blessed that it's just spilling out of me. I'm not operating in a deficit. I'm operating in abundance. So I just begin to give. This is why there is tithe and offering. It's not because it's legislated. It's because God is a giver, and he's inviting me to partake in the nature of giving. So this is an amazing, amazing illustration. It's where Samson, Samson kills the lion, and rather than a devourer, there is a swarm of bees in the carcass of the lion. And, and the riddle is fulfilled. Out of the eater came forth meat. Out of the strong came forth sweetness. <clears throat> so you're, you're literally reversing the order. The carnivore produces meat. And the, the strong or the conqueror is now sweet rather than bitter. This is dying to the flesh and living in the spirit. It, it takes the order from decomposition to composition, to consumption, from consumption to production. And so when you, when you work your job, you begin to become promoted. You begin to grow in your ability. You, you start at the bottom, maybe you become a manager. From a manager, become a regional manager. Regional manager, you work your way up, work your way up. It's the Joseph dynamic. It's the bee. It's the cow. You learn about real estate. You learn about investing. You learn that, that you can put your money into a savings account, and that's great, but you can also put it into a wealth multiplication account, which would be a rental house or some kind of an investment like that, so that you're receiving back on your investment. And I'm, I'm just one simple application of that is one, a rental house is, is a great investment. I encourage people to do it. We have people here at our church that do it. I, I began that process years ago. And the apostolic world really needs to hear about this because this is all about the bees and about the cows. Not the birds and the bees, the bees and the cows. <laughs> um, when you purchase a rental house, you are creating increase by several multiplicative factors. Number one, you receive rent. Number two, you pay down debt. Um, number three, you have tax write-offs. Number four, you have appreciation and property values going up. And then number five, you can eventually leverage that property as you get equity in it and go buy another one. So rather than it sitting dormant and just drawing from it and with inflation going up, your money actually becomes less worth less and less the more it sits dormant. You can turn it into a wealth multiplier and you, you learn these principles as you grow. And so your money's churning and your life is churning and your, your behavior and the way that you treat people. Well, eventually that is a witness. That is a testimony. People, I, I told somebody this morning, I went to breakfast with them and, and 
they said, man, I love what you're doing with the church. I love what's happening. And, and we are. We're excited about what God's doing. The United States is a pretty good example being uh, largely modeled after Judeo-Christianity. I know it's got its problems, and I know that with the more secularism that that arises, the worse things become. But ultimately, the Judeo-Christian mindset that that formed the United States has been a great blessing to many, many people. And it's such a blessing that people are lined up to get in. When we do this thing right, when we create such excellence and we create such blessing, people will line up to come. They're not dying to get out. That's North Korea. That's the former Soviet Union. That's communist China. People are lining up to get out. But when they're lining up to get in, you have to put up guards to halt the flow of illegal immigration. When you have people trying to illegally enter, that's a good problem. It's a good problem to have. Um, They're coming because of the benefit. They're coming because of the honey. They're coming because of the milk. Now, Lord, help us. We've got people doling it out to stay in political power, and that's a travesty, but... But the point being, there's a reason why the multitudes followed Jesus, why they thronged Jesus. And as you're producing and as you're investing, and this is true of your family, you know, bless your wife, bless your husband, be kind, um, bring joy to them, invest your time and your energy, invest in your children, invest in family time, invest in your home, make your home a sanctuary. Buy your house. Don't just rent, but but as you prepare yourself, buy your home and create equity to give to the next generation. Um, buy assets rather than liabilities. I I drive. Um, I, I have a Tesla. I drive a Tesla, and I it's been one of the greatest investments I've made because when I drive by the gas station, I just wave at them and keep on going. <laughs> but I also have a used 2013 Toyota Prius. It's got about approximately 7 billion miles on it, and, and it just keeps on running. It keeps on running. It's been paid off for many years, and one of my sons said, Dad, when are you going to upgrade and get something nice? You can get something nice. I said, you know what? I got everything I need. I'm going to drive the wheels off that thing. That's I can invest money where it needs to be, and I'll just drive that little Prius around until it just dies and gives up the ghost. I, I, I'm a blessed man, and, and I... I don't want to purchase liabilities just because they're sparkly and cool. I, I want to purchase assets, things that are going to increase, things that are going to bring blessing, not have to throw money into things to give it away. This is the mindset of the bee and of the cow. And the land that God is bringing us to, it, it's not that it's this divine place that's going to give us a big divine handout, a heavenly handout. But God's going to make you a producer. You're going to become a bee. You're going to become a cow. The milk is going to come forth. The honey is going to come forth because of you. He's going to make a difference in you. And he's going to give you a land, a good land, where you can prosper in that. Now, I could spend a lot of time on the fly. The fly is a very big symbol of decay. And brokenness and consumption 
the fly is a consumer just like the lion was a consumer. You know, the devil's as a roaring lion. The Bible calls uh, false prophets wolves, wolves in sheep's clothing. And and he, the, the Lord, uh, the devil is called the Lord of the flies, Beelzebub. And, and when a when a body dies and the flesh breaks down, the, the flies, the cadaver flies, they settle upon it and they consume that corpse. And the, the fly lands there and it deposits its offspring onto that corpse, becomes maggots. Maggots then devour. They grow into flies. They turn around and they come back. They deposit and they keep on this cycle, this life cycle of the fly and the maggot. Now, the Bible... <clears throat> doesn't call it a maggot. It calls it the worm. And it's literally what it means when the Bible says where the fire is not quenched and the worm dieth not. That means maggot. And it's the life cycle of, of decomposition, how that there's this, this continual eroding and eating away and devouring. God does not give us a consumptive lifestyle. He gives us a productive lifestyle. And Satan is the Lord of that. He is the Lord of consumption. Uh, he wants you to be spending all your money on bail, um, bailing out of jail and out of prison. He wants you to spend your money on um, lawyer fees and and the legal system and alcohol and, and any kind of um, chemical dependency dynamic. He, he wants you to pay child support the rest of your life because you you entered into intimate relationships with people who don't serve God. <clears throat> Satan is the God of consumption. It's one reason why God got victory over him in Egypt, and one of the gods that he overcame was when the flies came. He was showing Egypt that God was the God of the flies, God was the God of the God of the flies. I think I said it right. <laughs> as great as Beelzebub is on earth, God was greater than Beelzebub. He is, he is over all. And so he curses Egypt with all these things, and flies was part of that. The devil wants people who take rather than give, and God reverses that. So when we study the Scripture, we should study it to teach it and to give it to explore the depths of it, to rejoice in it, fall in love with it. This is what it means to pull the honey and the milk out of the word. The Bible uh, describes honey coming out of the rock. <laughs> and, and then when we enter into business and we enter into our, our daily life to, to produce and to grow and to increase where we are, and then with our family, to increase and to grow and to produce. <clears throat> when I go to church, I want to produce. I want to produce worship. I don't want to sit there. But my hands are raised. My, ha my hands are clapping. My voice is lifted. I am an active participant. I am producing praise and worship. And my, I could talk about that for a long time. And you know, this is the truth. Churches should be producers. I realized several years ago that not enough churches produce. So many times it's just the same people 
living years and years and years together and, and trying to barely hang on with their fingernails and just barely get through. But I, I believe churches should produce the raw material of the community. Go out and find those that need God and be producing new souls. Some churches try to pull people from other churches, and that's unfortunate. It's unethical. It's wrong. You shouldn't be trying to pull people from other churches and getting them to come to your church. You should be going out into the community. I should be going into the community and finding brand new people who don't know God and discipling them and having them fall in love with the things of God. Once they realize the beauty that's at their fingertips, they'll, they will beat the door down trying to come in. God will bless them and, and open up the windows of heaven over them, and they will grow into that once they realize the treasure that is available to them. So every church should be a producer. God's put us in our communities. Let's go out. Let's produce. Let's do the work of God together, and, and he'll help us. He will help us. This is what it means to be in the land that flows with milk and honey the land of the bee, and the land of the cow. So apply it in Bible study. Look for those, those themes of Jesus Christ. That's basically what Bible study is, is teaching Jesus over and over and over again. When, when the Ethiopian eunuch came um, by Philip in Acts chapter 8, after Philip had preached in Samaria, he was reading Isaiah 53. And he didn't understand what he read. So Philip said, do you understand what you read? I, how can I except some man guide me? Philip went up into the chariot and beginning at the same verse, he preached unto him Jesus. So we preach Jesus from all over the Old Testament, from Genesis 1, Genesis 4, Cain and Abel, through the flood, through the Exodus in Leviticus, the tabernacle, Moses, Joseph, Jacob, Esau, Israel, it is all about Jesus. On the road to Emmaus, the Bible says Jesus opened their understanding, how that the Psalms and the law <clears throat> and Moses, it all prophesied about him. This is what it means to be part of the land that flows with milk and honey. So, that's what we want to give you today here. I pray that this is a blessing. I pray it helps you. I pray that you're able to apply it where you are. It is not drudgery living for God. It is a, an exciting day to be serving the Lord. And we trust that God is continuing to elevate you and help you and strengthen you where you are. Find somebody. Teach them a Bible study. Sit down with them and don't just beat them over the head with the Bible, but rejoice in the beauty of the word of God. Let them have a taste of the honey that is in, in the word. And God will be good to you and he'll open up doors and bless you. So, glad that you could be with us today. Until the next time, God bless you and God keep you. God cause his face to shine upon you, to be gracious unto you and to give you peace.